Former MLB pitcher Trevor Bauer is vindicated. He releases messages that prove his accuser was a liar all along, and it's a bad look for women any way you slice it. Guys, a lot of emotion in today's show. I hope you're ready for it. I'll kick the morning starts right now. Hello and good morning to each and every one of you. Welcome on in to Outkick the Morning. I am your host, Charlie Arnold. And wow, it looks like the world owes Trevor Bauer a big apology because yesterday, the former Major League pitcher for the Dodgers and 2020 Cy Young Award winner finally settled the legal dispute stemming from 2021 in which a woman accused Bauer of beating and sexually assaulting her. Now, by settled, attorneys said both sides withdrew their claims and no money was exchanged. So just to be clear here, the woman did not get a dime, just as Bauer intended all along. The former Dodger was not willing to pay off his accuser despite her several attempts because why should he? He knew what actually happened, saying he never committed a crime in any shape or any form. And it turns out it was after that settlement occurred, Trevor was able to finally vindicate himself and prove what he had been saying all along. Before MLB placed him on the administrative leave list and handed down a 194-game suspension reduced from 324 games for violating their domestic abuse guidelines, and before he was painted as a sexual predator to the entire world. That, of course, that he was innocent. And that this woman, his accuser, was nothing more than a liar, taking advantage of the Me Too movement to try and earn a big payday. And Bauer's evidence was a bombshell. Listen to it for yourself. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers. A text Lindsay Hill sent to a friend before she ever even met me. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer, take his money. So how might that work? I'm going to his house Wednesday, she said. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. Then after the first time we met, net worth is 51 mil, she said. Bitch, you better secure the bag, was the response. Uh, but, but how is she gonna do that? Need daddy to choke me out, she said, being an absolute whore to try to get in on his 51 million, read another text. Then after the second time we met, former Padres pitcher Jacob Nix told her, you gotta get this bag. I'll give you 50,000, Lindsay replied. Her AA sponsor asked her at one point, do you feel a tiny bit guilty? Not really, she replied. Since then, her legal team has approached me multiple times about coming to a financial settlement. But as I have done since day one, I refuse to pay her even a single cent. Uh, in August of 2021, Lindsay Hill's claims were heard in court, and during those legal proceedings, critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video, which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021 without my knowledge or consent. The video speaks for itself. Uh, you can go on the internet, you can go to Trevor Bauer's account. He has minutes long worth of evidence that this woman was an absolute liar. Uh, one of the statements that he made in that video that his accuser said she was going to get him to choke her out and then extort him. And guess what guys, that's exactly what she did. And the interesting part, no one for a second questioned her story despite Bauer vehemently denying it since day one. So I have to ask, what does that say about our society and its attitudes towards men? That they are all deemed to be scumbags if a woman says so? That men are fully capable of lying, but not women? Uh, 
we know that's not the case. We have seen time and time again women take advantage of a situation involving a man for their own personal gain. And their story holds water no matter what each and every time. The Me Too movement, which originally gave way to give a voice to actual victims, has now transformed into a manipulative tactic for women to make excuses for their own degenerate and immoral behavior, and in turn, does serious damages to the stories and credibility of real victims. So here's what I think. This disgusting excuse of a human being who technically, if you look at it, ruined Bauer's life, ever since making the accusation, has gotten him blackballed from the MLB, among other things, completely ruined his reputation. So she should be the one who goes to prison now that her gold digging plan didn't pay off. Give her the punishment Bauer would have gotten had he had been found guilty. And you know what? While you're at it, make it twofold. This woman should be ashamed. She should be shamed as well and made an example of so that other women do not try to pull off the same type of scandal. Furthermore, end the Me Too movement. It's clear it means nothing anymore, except to strip innocent men of their power. And now, for some legal perspective on all of this, let's bring in attorney Lexi Rigdon. Hey, good morning, Lexi. Uh, a lot has come out and been made public in the last mm -hmm. 12 hours or so. Are you surprised by the outcome of this case? Uh, I'm not. And I think it's a testament to how the case was not strong to begin with. I mean, it's not difficult, really, as he had stated in his video. I mean, I think he overplayed it a little bit. It's not always so easy to get a restraining order, but it's not necessarily difficult to get one because the legal standard to get one is a preponderance of the evidence. So all she needed to have proved in front of that judge, not a jury, just a judge, is that it was more likely than not that the allegations were true. And the fact that she wasn't able to do that was obviously probably the nail in the coffin for any type of criminal charges. And it just showed how weak her case was that one judge, after reviewing that evidence in a fairly a fairly blue state where I assume that victims are, are treated um, in a certain way, decided that it wasn't good enough. And so then he doubled down on that by filing for defamation. And you can't file for defamation and also, and also allege that something, it was actually true, but you ruined my life. I mean, he came out and basically was saying, this wasn't true and this is why I'm suing you, which opens mm -hmm. himself up to having to testify and provide very personal information to the court. So, I mean, he really he really took this to the forefront to try to show that he didn't do anything wrong, kind of like in a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard way, where Johnny Depp said, this was never about money for me. I don't need her money. She doesn't have enough money to recoup me for all of my losses, but this is about getting getting my name back. And I think with this, especially with the evidence that he was able to get because he filed a lawsuit, he wouldn't have been entitled to it otherwise. I think that he really has. I and mean, it's pretty jaw dropping what she was doing behind the scenes. And it was so jaw dropping. I, that's what I can't wrap my head around because here we have a woman who is just flat out lying. Mm -hmm. There's, I would, I would venture to say there are little to no details of her story that ultimately proved to be true. Uh, yet she went with it for such a long extended period of time, purposely, as she stated in those text messages, trying to get a big payday out of this whole debacle. So right. should she in turn face prosecution or criminal charges? Because I feel like, you know, that was her goal and what she wanted for Trevor Bauer ultimately. And now that she's found to be an absolute liar and taken mm -hmm. him, you know, for a ride for an absolute spin, shouldn't she be the one to face prosecution? 
Well, I mean, technically, if she filed police reports and, and she put her story on record with the authorities, she could potentially face charges for that. I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be happening. That's probably they probably have bigger things to worry about, although it is a concern because we've seen this happen with alleged victims before and it's making other victims look bad. It's making people able to cast doubt on mm -hmm. other victim stories that are actually true when somebody like this is coming out and saying these things. And her lawyer, um, Brian Friedman, who's a pretty high profile attorney, is in that video, Trevor said after they actually saw the evidence, they reached out and they decided to just mutually dismiss the lawsuits. And the fact that she not only got no money from him, but she couldn't even get a non-disclosure agreement from him shows probably how strong even the evidence Good. that we see was, because that would have been probably something she would have wanted because none of this paints her in a good light. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, because we talk about what this really does to the credibility of real victim stories. When real victims decide to come forward and open themselves up and, you know, for someone like this woman to now have made you know, a complete mockery of these victims, essentially. Uh, what type of precedent does this set now moving forward when a woman does decide to open up and come forward and make statements this strongly against someone that she claims to have assaulted her or something just as bad? Well, I think that the tide has turned. Obviously, pre-Me Too, things were a certain way. And then when Me Too came out, there was Believe All Women. It was like, what? Believe all women? What about believe all evidence? But, you know, it was just believe all women just because they're coming forward and they're saying they're victims. And now the pendulum, I think it's getting back to normal a little bit with this. But this is just, I mean, this is a cautionary tale also for people in his position, men and women in positions of power who have money. You can't be careless about who you let in your life. Now, I might be able to be careless about who I let in my life because I'm not a celebrity. Um, and he has a lot of upsides of being a celebrity, but those are the downsides. And this is a cautionary tale for him and others moving forward because mere accusations, and to be clear, this isn't the only person that has alleged him of similar, has alleged similar conduct against him, but the MLB looked into this. They had suspended him for a long period of time. The suspension was downgraded, but it was still upheld. And then the Dodgers released him, not only because of, Miss Hill, but because of other people's allegations. But it just shows that we're still in a universe where allegations can be enough to get somebody canceled, essentially. So everybody, people need to be careful when they have a lot to lose who they let in their lives, unfortunately. Are you seeing any differences being take or any differences taking place in the legal process. I mean, before, like you mentioned, a woman would come forward, make some statements, tell a story, and automatically it was deemed to be facts. It was deemed to be the truth. Is there any difference now in the legal process where you have attorneys or you have other people who are saying, wait a second, before we take your story at face value, we need to do a little bit more digging before either we decide to take you on as a client or before we decide to bring this case forward against the person you're accusing? I think that I think that instant cancellation based on accusations is more of a media thing and it's more of a, a public culture thing. In court, there are legal burdens. And one of the things that was not, I mean, I've litigated so many restraining order cases, both on the side of the victim and the and the defendant. And you know, while it is certainly easier to get a restraining order in my state, New Jersey, and in California, the same burden. Um, than it is to get a criminal conviction because the burden is different. It's not like they're handing them out like candy every time somebody walks in. I mean, the plaintiff has, the, in this right. case, 
hill. The plaintiff has the burden of showing it was more likely than not. And the other side can mount, you know, their case with their own evidence, pictures, text messages, showing that maybe there was a fight that it's at mm -hmm. issue, that it was mutual. Or in this case, where apparently they had a sexual relationship and they, the roughness of it was actually consensual as opposed to just what he did without her consent. So there are two sides to every story. And, and I find that the court, the court sees that, but one of the issues that, that I think happens in court in domestic violence cases is they're not jury trials, nor should they be, but judges have their own personal biases. And so I've been before judges where if I have the woman, for example, and she's the plaintiff and she's alleging something that is, you know, not great. I'll say to the person, you're going to have to think about the consequences of this, because even though objectively speaking, I don't think she has that strong of a case. This judge tends to side this certain way. And I think that there are certain judges who think no harm, no foul in a lot of states, unlike New Jersey, but in a lot of states, restraining orders automatically end after a certain period of time. So I do think that there might be a bit of a no harm, no foul. You know, it's bad enough. Uh, I'll just grant it because I don't want to be in the paper. I don't want to be in the front page of the paper one day for, you know, not having granted it. And then something happens to this person. And finally, Lexi, I'm just curious, do you expect Bauer to sue MLB as a result of this? I mean, he's been out of the league for two years now. Think about all the money that he's lost. He's now playing over in Japan. My best guess is he probably won't even ever have a spot on a roster in the MLB again. That's just that's just my opinion. Uh, but does he have grounds to sue a major sporting organization now like MLB? Well, you know, he already did appeal the sentence and the and the sentence was reduced and they said that they needed to reinstate him and he was ultimately released. And it's my understanding that as part of the reason that they suspended him was not just her allegations, but it was allegations from others and and violations as they saw it of their domestic violence policy. They obviously have wide latitude to do what they feel is in the best interest of their organization. So I think he's going to move on with his life. I don't think that he's going to be suing them. And I, I, I don't really think that even if he tried, it would necessarily be successful. Okay. Well, you know, that's, it's any way you look at it, it really, truly is unfortunate. Uh, I'm just happy that now he has the ability to vindicate himself, to prove to the world that he's not the monster that he was painted as. And I guess we'll just see what happens from here. I hope you're right. I hope that the tides are turning. I hope that we are seeing some transition uh, if the Me Too movement does persist, which I've already called for it to end because the way I see it right now, I don't think that it approves or it serves any real purpose uh, the way that it was originally set out to. Uh, but I hope you're right. I hope we are seeing some changes and I hope that men, uh, just because a woman comes forward with a story, are not automatically proved to be guilty. So we'll see what happens there. Lexi, I so appreciate your time. And, um, you. Well, you know, you. hopefully I don't have to see you too soon, but I, I know where to find you if I need you. Yes. Outkick the Morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. Okay, we're going to have more on that story in just a minute. But now, you know what? Let's turn to another story that already has me fired up because last week we showed you video of a young girl getting the crap beat out of her by a trans student in the hallway at her middle school in a Portland suburb. Now that violent student has been arrested, but 
Now the superintendent of the middle school, Sue Reiki Smith, is speaking out accusing parents of being hateful for expressing so much concern over the fact that this was a biological boy beating on a girl. Listen to what she had to say. The minute that video, however, went viral, um, then there were, there were issues that were raised by the larger community, not internal to the district, but external to the district. Um, adults within the community and Just adults you know, nationwide, um, you know, calling out the student's uh, gender. Um, and that had nothing to do with the choice that that student made relative to the assault. That student made an incredibly awful choice and, and will, uh, will have consequences that are meted out commensurate with that assault. However, this other piece, which is because the student has a particular gender identity, therefore, there is no connection. And that is the hate that we are dealing with right now from, the, from groups from across uh, the nation and even here locally. Um, and that has no place in our schools. That is antithetical to what we believe here at QTSD. If you ask me, I think another thing that doesn't have any place in their schools is violence, no matter who it comes from. I just cannot believe this. Uh, that the superintendent is asking parents to not blame the attack on the trans student's gender identity because it's absolutely absurd. Because I know for a fact, if this was a boy who identified as a boy, the superintendent would not be saying the same thing. The trans community, we all know, they're given privileges, exceptions, and get out of jail free cards that are not handed out to anybody else. And not to mention, this attack happened in a hallway. You can see it on your screen. It happened in front of tens of students. They all had their phones out. They were all happily recording. No one stepped in. But what happens when an assault this vicious or even worse, maybe something in a sexual manner, happens in a private setting like a bathroom or locker room? Because we do know that trans students in a lot of places have access to those locations as well. And then what? Then someone like this poor girl has no way to defend herself because by nature, as a female, she is not adequately able to defend herself against the opposite sex. This liberal superintendent is clearly sick, but it's the same mental illness that has plagued so many Democrats all over the country, leaving females to be forced to share locker rooms in what should be safe spaces with biological males, all in the name of progressiveness. Expel the trans student from school immediately, throw them in juvenile, as this type of violence doesn't belong in a middle school, regardless regardless, I said, of who is enacting it. And we will all know, and we all know that this, if this wasn't a trans student, this level of punishment wouldn't be open to compromise or discussion on any level. Okay, now let's bring in OutKick opinionist, Mary Catherine Ham for a little reaction. Uh, you know oh, Mary Catherine. Go ahead. What, what, do you have to, what do you have to say about all this? I mean, it's just... It feels like every day we're getting into the same debate, the same discussion. We all come to the same conclusions, yet it still keeps happening and we're still here talking about it. Well, I think we have to keep talking about it. And the, what the superintendent is referencing is important because parents and observers of the news and people who are concerned about this level of violence, which was deeply disturbing in this video, know that the bias of leadership in that school, every single person involved in this attack knows that leadership in the district and in the school is going to lean toward protecting a person with a special identity. That is just the bottom line. Everyone knows this. Everyone in that hallway knew it, right? If you want to stick up for the poor girl on the ground, 
you're going to have to go against possibly someone with a protected class, a protected identity. What does that set up for the poor girl on the ground? It means that nobody's stepping in for her. And they, the people who speak up for her online, who speak up for the girl who was attacked uh, in the district, know that they may come under attack because they are on the wrong side of the protected individual. But the protected individual should be this poor girl who was beaten in a hallway. That's exactly. the problem that we have right now. Well, that's the thing. And that's that's the other, I guess, idea that we all keep coming back to, at least those of us who are sensible. Remember when women used to be considered a protected class? Yeah. I just, I feel like now women, they've lost that right. They've lost the right to their safety and their privacy. And we're just putting them in a category where now, where we've tried to protect them for so long, uh, now women are just becoming more and more oppressed, all in the name of progressiveness. Well, and all of these stories, right? Anything that's an alleged event, or in this case, it's obviously on video, it's about balancing the actual evidence we have, right? We can be rational adults and do that. The problem is that when you treat one class very specifically differently, um, you get into an a realm of irrational uh, analysis of the situation because it doesn't allow for rational uh, analysis. There's a situation in Loudoun County, which is near me in Northern Virginia, where very famously a uh, boy who dressed in a skirt, we don't know exactly the gender identity, uh, attacked someone, attacked a woman in a high school uh, bathroom. And that attack was hidden from her parents. It was yes. hidden from the people of the school district. And then the father was arrested when he objected at a school board meeting to it being hidden from him. The reason it was hidden was because they wanted to pass a gender neutral bathrooms policy in the near future. And they it was clear to them that they had to protect that policy. They didn't need to protect the girl. Again, it's completely reversed. Protect the victim. <laughs> who in many of these cases, it's proven. It's not like this is like, oh, he said, she said. This this has been proven and they hid it systematically. By the way, that I believe that superintendent uh, was convicted of at least one criminal charge in this case. So we've got like a little bit of comeuppance for him, which is nice. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, you know, you talk about protecting the victim. Uh, the story that I led today with uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, now finally able to come forward with the evidence that proves he's been innocent all along. Uh, he, in fact, has been the victim in this entire debacle. Uh, his accuser purposely had said it from the beginning that she was going to try to get him to choke her out. Choke him. Yeah, he was going to she, she was going to try to get him to choke her out. And then she was going to look for a big payday as a result. Uh, I want to go back and watch the full video. We didn't get an opportunity to do, to do that earlier. So let's watch the full video of what Trevor Bauer just released yesterday on his social media account. And then I'll get your reaction. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers. A text Lindsay Hill sent to a friend before she ever even met me. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer? Take his money. So how might that work? I'm going to his house Wednesday, she said. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. Then, after the first time we met, net worth is 51 mil, she said. Bitch, you better secure the bag, was the response. Uh, but, but how is she going to do that? Need daddy to choke me out, she said, being an absolute whore to try to get in on his 51 million, read another text. Then after the second time we met, former Padres pitcher Jacob Nix told her, you got to get this bag. I'll give you 50,000, Lindsay replied. Her AA sponsor asked her at one point, do you feel a tiny bit guilty? Not really, she replied. 
Since then, her legal team has approached me multiple times about coming to a financial settlement. But as I have done since day one, I refuse to pay her even a single cent. Uh, in August of 2021, Lindsay Hill's claims were heard in court. And during those legal proceedings, critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video, which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021, without my knowledge or consent, of course. Uh, in it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world, or any marks on her face. I think it paints a pretty clear picture of what actually happened the evening of May 15th and why the video was originally concealed from us. Uh, after hearing the evidence available to her, Judge Diana Gold Saltman found that Lindsay Hill had misled the court. She found her claims to be materially misleading. Uh, she denied her request for a domestic violence restraining order, and she found that no sexual assault or non-consensual conduct took place. Now, some of you might not know about restraining order hearings. I know I didn't, but uh, I've since learned that uh, it's extremely rare for a request for a restraining order to be denied because the standard of proof that you need to obtain one is extremely low. So you can make of that what you will. The fact is I was never arrested. I was never charged with a crime and I won the only legal proceeding that took place without my side of the story even being heard. Uh, and most importantly, as I've said from day one, I never sexually assaulted Lindsay Hill or anyone else for that matter. So I sued her, which prompted her to countersue me. Quite frankly, regardless of the outcome in court, I've paid significantly more in legal fees than Lindsay Hill could ever pay me in her entire life. Uh, and I knew that would be the case going in, but the lawsuit was never about the money for me. It was the only way for me to obtain critical information to clear my name. Uh, the discovery process in that lawsuit recently concluded, at which point uh, Lindsay Hill's legal team again came to us with another proposal to resolve the case. Uh, this time, however, they weren't seeking any money from me. Having received uh, much of the information that had been hidden from us, uh, a small portion of which I've referenced here, um, I was willing to agree to the terms proposed. Both parties would drop their respective lawsuits and neither of us would pay either side any money. Um, I also retained my right to speak publicly about the case, something I have not been at liberty to do since June of 2021. So as of today, both lawsuits have been settled. Now, over the last two years, I've been forced to defend my integrity uh, and my reputation in a very public setting. But hopefully this is the last time I have to do so, as I'd prefer to just remain focused on doing my job, uh, winning baseball games and entertaining fans around the world. So today, I'm happy to be moving on with my life. Uh, there's so much to get into here, Mary Catherine, but what does it say to you, the fact that this accuser, despite her really extreme claims, was never able to get a restraining order? Uh, there was no non-disclosure agreement at the end of this several-year-long case. Uh, but also, on the other hand, Trevor Bauer's life, in a sense, has been ruined. Uh, his career has been ruined. And not only that, but he's out tons of money trying to defend himself against claims that he knew from the very beginning and was trying to tell all of us from the very beginning, but no one would listen, that he was innocent. Well, one, good for him for sticking it out and sticking it up for himself at great personal cost. He could have paid her off at any time and sort of just tacitly admitted guilt to get this done with, mm -hmm. right? But he decided not to do that. And I'm really glad because now we have this absolute trash out in the open 
so that we can all see it. Um, and I'm glad that he has that moment. He has lost a bunch in the meantime. And here's what I mean about like leaving our rational faculties behind. There's a hierarchy, right? Transgender above woman, woman above hetero man, right? So in his case, she was a protected class because it was the height of me too, right? We're in the wake Mm -hmm. of the me too era, at least where women are to be believed at all costs. And it's like, okay, well, maybe the MLB should actually examine the evidence at hand here, (laughs) which it turns out we only found not due to any investigation by MLB, but because he sued her and he went through discovery. Um, It's appalling that someone would do this to another person. Uh, And I would like to say that the press is partially to blame here because I think at least in the case of The Athletic, one of their reporters who he also sued and she had to correct her story had Lindsay Hill's medical records. And yes, I am going to use her name because her name is in these lawsuits and she's not a victim. So we don't need to protect right. her anymore. Lindsay Hill's medical records, this reporter had, they did not state that she had a major head injury or a fractured skull. And yet the story said she did. That's a pretty still said she did. Busting thing to allege about someone when it's not true. That is not your job as a reporter. And if you have documentation that it's not true, yes, you should get in trouble. So that was Molly Knight with The Athletic. Uh, she didn't have to pay anything, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know what career repercussions there have been to, for her, but she was wrong. And at least he got his answer on that and his correction. But like, the press has to play a part yeah. in actually adjudicating ba- these things rationally as well. Well, I, I do know that that reporter, Molly, I know she's no longer with The Athletic. Uh, it's all I know as far as her career is concerned. But You're so right as far as none of this would have come to light and we probably would never have reached this conclusion and Trevor Bauer forever as we know what may have been considered to be a sexual deviant and predator if he would not have pushed back and opened up a lawsuit of his own and countersued. Does that mean moving forward any guy who's accused is going to have to take these steps to make sure that his name is cleared? Because to me that seems so extreme, but in this case like it was just laid out. If it wasn't for that, who knows what would have happened to him? Well, again, in the absence of a league or a press that is going to fairly adjudicate things and do that rationally and use evidence, uh, if they have a protected class that they're going to lift above the other person, then the answer is that you have to go to these lengths. And that's a real problem because what? how long did it take? It took two years. Now, And this is, I've written about this before with athletes where you have a very, very short window where you can be an elite athlete, whether it's college level and certainly pro, right? right? And when you take two years out of that, you are taking a lot from someone. I wrote about this in the, um, in the case of the UNC uh, uh, football player who had, it has nothing to do with sexual assault, but he was not deemed eligible, even though his COVID took an entire season from him. And it's like, you guys messed this up. And you can't take things from these young people without any sort of repercussions. It's so deeply unfair. Yeah, it really is sad. And you're so right about athletes only having a very finite number of years where they're able to excel at their sport. And unfortunately, uh, those years were taken out of Trevor Bauer's career. And not only that, but it's my opinion that he probably won't play in the MLB again. So where his career takes him, We'll find out. But I just don't think, even though his name has been cleared, I just don't see the MLB wanting to touch him again because I just don't believe it makes sense uh, for them to engage in this type of distraction, especially when 
you know, we've seen in the past a lot of athletes have been blackballed for expressing their beliefs or um, being accused of something even when their name is cleared after the fact. So, um, Mary Catherine Ham, thank you so much. Always great to see you, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right, guys, this next story shouldn't come as any surprise. D.C., Washington, D.C., it has a rat problem. But no, I'm not talking about the Speaker of the House and apparent rhino Kevin McCarthy or the completely idiotic Democratic Representative Jamal Bowman, who pulled the fire alarm this weekend in an attempt to sabotage a crucial vote to keep the government open and then tried to lie his way out of it. No, I am talking a real rat problem. But thank goodness we have some heroes in this country, ones who take to the streets to literally kill these rats. Now, Washington, D.C. is the second rattiest city on the East Coast following, shocker, listen to this, right here in New York City. Uh, and yesterday, I was fortunate enough to talk with one of these brave souls to find out about the city's mission to hunt down and do away with the disgusting vermin that seemed to multiply by the day. So here is Marshall Feinberg and his dog, Henry. They are members of the renegade rebel ratters. This group that you go out with, I imagine because you're spending so much time together, right? You probably, I mean, how many times a week do you go out on these missions? Probably about like once or twice a week if we can. Most of us do still have daytime jobs. A lot of times now I'm kicking it up a little bit more because I'm trying to help different communities and DCs and helping establish getting some of those problems taken care of. Do you get paid by the city? We work with the city. So it's more so as a community thing as we're building up and helping people realizing the potential in their dogs, helping breeders realize the potential in their dogs. At this point in time, we're just helping out the community. Okay, so it's just volunteer at this point. Um, okay, but I imagine you're pretty close with the people you go out with. Like, is this, uh, do you have big celebrations afterwards? Like, guys, we just got our biggest rat yet. Let's go grab some drinks. Uh, by that point in time, it's usually one or two in the morning. So the drinks aren't able to be uh, grabbed. Right. But... <laughs> Um, okay, well, speaking of your bounty, like, do you have any rats that you're really proud of that you have taken off the streets of D.C.? Any 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 milestone moments that you could share? When you hit the 40 to 50 mark going towards the night with dogs, it's pretty impressive, especially if you only have, like, four to five dogs. That's a lot of, like, dog work and man work and keeping busy in different spots. So, and usually a lot of the times in the areas where we're working those areas, if, if people realize that our dogs are getting that many rats in the area, they typically clean up or are more better about their trash husbandry. Ah, uh, okay. And and now what about the rats? Like, are they instinctual enough to know how to avoid this type of predator, your dogs? Or is, is it like a, a big chase down? Or is it the rat just kind of, you know, goes into, I, I mean, I don't know how this works. Does, does the rat try to run away or what happens? Sometimes initially in new spots, the rats are so relaxed in those areas, the concept of a predator is very new to them. But after a couple of rounds of us being there, they kind of realize what's up and they get into more of avoidance. And that kind of helps those areas because there are some parts in Adams Morgan where if you're walking at night, rats are walking over you. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Uh, what's the biggest rat that you've ever killed with your group? Um, one time someone brought a fish scale out of curiosity. So we judged it and it was probably about a pound and a half. Oh my God. Okay. I am so fascinated by this because I can never imagine, but first of all, I am the biggest baby. I mean, if I see a tiny spider, I'm screaming and running my head up down the block. Do you ever get grossed out? Um, no, I'm pretty desensitized to it at this point. 
my dad was a veterinarian, so I grew up in a clinic working with different animals. So for oh. the most part, I'm I'm pretty used to them coming and going. And by the time our dogs get to it, it's literally like I can time on a stopwatch how fast they get a rat. It's two or three seconds. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Okay, so you obviously come from, you know, a background where you're used to seeing, you know, different animals being treated certain different types of ways. Uh, something I found very baffling is the fact that PETA would be against you guys helping to take care of this issue because we all know how much it disrupts the city, um, different functions of the city. It's obviously a huge turnoff for residents. Uh, every anytime I see a rat, I I like have to look the other way. I mean, it it really is just very off putting to me. But PETA is trying to say that you know rats mean no harm, and these groups are simply trying to eke out an existence like the rest of us. Has PETA just completely lost their minds? I feel like when it comes to being affiliated with animals, they're always going to kind of jump the gun. I, at the end of the day. Regardless if you're ratting of a dog, regardless if you're throwing a tennis ball for a dog, you technically can't really make a dog do anything. So if they want to do something, it's very much their choice, whether they want to operate or not. And poison in certain circumstances can take five to maybe even six days to kill a rat. Whereas our dogs, it, it's it's what, two, oh, three okay. seconds? So, so this, I, is, this is actually the more humane way of taking care of the rat problem than using something like rat poison or probably traps, things of that nature. And and the thing is, poison's not going to locate where the rats are, as whereas our dogs are going to do that. So it's also a big factor as well. Okay, so finally, because it seems like this is catching on, like I just said, there's several different groups that are already making their rounds in D.C. I imagine there's probably, I, I've never heard of any here in New York, but I'm sure some exist, uh, maybe in some other cities around the country as well. You think this is going to be something that's going to gain more popularity if more people hear about it? I, I think there are probably more people doing it than we realize in certain circumstances. But yeah, when, when people have seen us do it through here, if other people have shown interest in seeing if the dog has the ability, my big thing is, is that I want to be able to get some of these terriers out of shelters and in working environments when these circumstances to just give them a better home and give them a better working outlet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Marshall, thank you so much. And thank you so much to Henry. Can we get a quick look at Henry? Is he still around you? Yeah, he's just crashed out before. Let me see if I get okay. on the couch. And Come on, well, Henry, get in yeah. here. We got to give you your your fifteen minutes of your fifteen minutes of fame. Oh my gosh, Henry is adorable. Henry, you are such a good boy. Thank you for killing the rats, uh, guys. If you happen to find yourself around the New York City parts, I welcome you. Kill as many rats as you possibly can here. I know I would thank you for it. I know that everybody else that I know, everyone else I live around, would also thank you for it. So thank you for what you do. And uh, is there a, is there a mission going on tonight? Not tonight. We typically stick for the weekend. So Saturday nights were typically out. Okay. All right. Hey, well, best of luck to you this weekend then. Thank you. Lots of rats throughout the course of today's show. We had Trevor Bauer's accuser, definitely put into the rat category. Uh, we have the student who is going around beating up on girls at the middle school in the Portland suburb, definitely a rat. And uh, we have the actual rats that... Marshall and Henry are hunting down. So, uh, guys, that's the theme throughout the show. Hopefully, uh, we do away with the rats or at least help them to change their behaviors so that things of these natures don't happen again. Uh, on that note, everybody, thank you so much, as always, for being here for Outkick the Morning. There's a subscribe button on the screen. 
I know you see it. I know you want to click it because then that means tomorrow before the show starts going, you're going to be notified. So you're not going to miss a minute of any of the action. Also, hit like, leave a comment, and you know where to find me. I'm on social media, at Charlie on TV. Uh, lots to talk about. So I hope to hear your thoughts, opinions, ideas. And on that note, everybody, have a wonderful day. It's Tuesday, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Are you looking for the hottest sportsbook offers? At OutKick, find exclusive promos, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at OutKick.com backslash bet. <laughs>